Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. The handout reference during this presentation is available for download on the audio section of our website. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. We uh, were happy to welcome back Dr. John Cuddeback. He's our speaker this evening. He received a Ph.D. in philosophy from the Catholic University of America in 1997. He's a third order lay Dominican and professor of philosophy at Christendom College, where he has taught for 25 years. Dr. Cuddeback writes and lectures on various topics, including virtue, fatherhood, friendship, and the household, and his professional writings appear in all kinds of academic journals and books. His own book, True Friendship, Where Virtue Becomes Happiness, has uh, just recently been republished by Ignatius Press, and you can follow his blogging at life-craft.org. That's lifecraft.org, where he offers weekly reflections and courses on the household and is known for applying ancient wisdom to our life today. And of course, he is a frequent speaker with the ICC, our current philosophy professor, and a Magdala apostolate professor as well. So, Dr. Cuddeback, we are thrilled to have you back with us. Welcome, doctor. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Father. It's a, a pleasure and honor to be with you uh, with this exciting and very daunting uh, topic. Go to Joseph, a biblical reflection for the year of St. Joseph. Who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Luke 12, 42. Indeed, who is he? Church takes these words as applying in a very special way to Joseph, Saint Joseph. Who is this Saint Joseph, whom God Himself set over His own household? Well, there's much, far more than we'll be able to look at this evening. Matthew one nineteen, in her husband Joseph, being a just man. In another context here in the ICC course, we're reading the Republic, and the central notion there is that of justice. It's kind of encompassing all virtues. And here's scripture, this other great and ancient and ever-living tradition, takes this great word and applies it so powerfully. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, so much he can teach us about who we can and should be, varying ways according to our state in life. Let's go to Joseph, especially this year. Let's use scripture. We're following the lead of the church here. Pope Francis chose the 150th anniversary of Blessed Pius IX naming St. Joseph, the patron of the Universal Church, to name this year of St. Joseph. That's why it's the year of St. Joseph it's the 150th anniversary of Pius IX, Blessed Pius IX, the first quote in the handout. If you don't have the handout before you, that's all right. It's, it's, you have it for your reference, and I'll be referring to it occasionally with some different quotations. This is from Que Mod Modum Deus, this letter of Pius IX. As Almighty God appointed Joseph, son of the patriarch Jacob, over all the land of Egypt to save grain for the people, so when the fullness of time had come and he was about to send 
to earth his only begotten son, the savior of the world, he chose another Joseph, of whom the first had been the type, and he made him the Lord and chief of his household and possessions, the guardian of his choicest treasures. Here we have blessed Pius IX giving us the directive of the Old Testament Joseph is a type of the New Testament Joseph. I, I wish we had much more, much more time uh, to be able to just be looking at, at both. I'm going to make a little bit of reference to the story in Genesis, and, and I, I highly recommend in this year of St. Joseph, just go back and, and, and read those several chapters of that astounding story. What a, what a story, what a moving story. Takes it from the heights to the depths. There's so much to, to see about that Joseph. And, and remember Blessed Pius IX and God's great providence, that Joseph is one way we can learn more about the other Joseph. And of course, through the other Joseph, learn more about our Father God. In my reading and reflecting upon the older Joseph and our Saint Joseph, I was so struck by so many things. In a particular way, it's, I mean, the words just sound so weak, but I was so struck by their manliness. I was inspired particularly to focus on the gift of authority. So here's what I'm going to do in this lecture with you this evening. My focus is going to have three parts. It's all going to be fundamentally about the gift of authority. The first part will be looking at the nature of authority, a couple different features of it. Then look at the gift of being under authority. And then finally, the last part will be the gift of exercising authority. And I'll end with some practical suggestions. So again, the three parts the nature of authority, then the gift of being under authority, and then the gift of exercising authority. Overall, I give you right now already my challenge to you this evening. This is a challenge I like to, like to give to every one of us. Let's look at our lives and let's ask ourselves, in what ways am I under authority? How can I do better at being under it? And then in what ways do I have authority? Am I called upon to exercise authority? And in what ways can I exercise it better? And of course, as we'll reflect shortly, those two are very intimately tied with one another. I'd like to suggest, even though I won't have occasion to fully argue in defense of it, that this is essential in every area of our life, particularly in our relationships. Most obviously, our relationship with God, our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our children, for married, our relationship with our spouse. We need to reflect upon the nature of authority, what it means to be under it, what it means to exercise it. In the astounding various ways in God's great gift to us, he calls upon us to do that. I'd like to use the two Josephs to help us think about it a little bit more, but I'm going to set them aside a little bit for a, a few moments to give a little bit of a philosophical background, a little bit of a just grab bag of a few things to help us sketch this thing called authority. The definition I'm going to use for it is the office of directing persons to their ends by rules or commands that are binding. The office of directing people to their end, to some good, particularly to their end. And then, and then you know, depending on the context, it could be their ultimate end or a more proximate end. It's always about directing them though to their end. But by rules or commands that are binding. Just a few things to note about authority. First and perhaps most importantly, it is one of the most primordial forms of love. And this is something that I think we so often miss. So much could be said here. God's authority over us is a central and defining way that his love takes concrete form. His authority, primarily exercised in the astounding gift 
of laws of different kinds directs to the great end for which he has made us. St. Thomas Aquinas quotes St. Augustine at one point saying, how would we know where to go in life were we not to be shown the way by the commands of God? So central here, we must always remember, God's authority is how he shows us his love, how his love takes concrete form in moving us, prodding us, but in, in a very rich and complex way, in a way that puts much trust in us. It's a very intellectual affair. It is done by sharing knowledge. It's not, it's not a pushing, the way that you'd push an animal. It's a directing, as you would direct a person, rooted in that this person is voluntary and will take responsibility for his own actions. God's exercising authority over us is rooted in a profound trust that he has given to us and a responsibility that he has given to us that we freely respond to that amazing causality. So authority well exercised, and there I just went to the top, authority well exercised is always a uniquely powerful and effective way of loving. Remember, it's an office that's always about bringing those under it to their own end. An essential feature of authority is the act called command, which is a special kind of judgment about what is to be done. Good commands of authority points to specific ways of achieving the human good. So I'm going to leave that point at that, but just, just, just savor, savor for a moment in different kinds of, of, of law, different kinds of command, different levels of authority. It's, it's always about informing. It's about instructing. St. Thomas Aquinas particularly likes to connect the word instruct with law. Good laws slash good commands are about instructing, pointing out what is truly good and the ways of getting there. Part of the richness, ladies and gentlemen, is given that we're, we're called to live in community. Again, we're not going to be able to descend into the fabulous philosophical details of this. Authority is necessary, among other things, to bring us together as a community and show us how, as a community, we must become harmonized in how we go about seeking our common good. So authority, it's always about truth. It's about the true reality and the objective reality of a great end to be achieved and how we're going to go about achieving it. All authority is ultimately from God. It's either exercised directly by God himself or shared with others as his instruments. An incredibly powerful and beautiful thing that we'll reflect upon here. First of all, why is all authority from God? Well, there's a lot, much more than it's just a very bold thing. Why is it from God? I'm going to answer that in one sentence, but a thought in that direction. Because he has designed the perfection, the completion of every nature. It's his ordering things to their end that makes that end be truly, is a very important word, due. D-U-E. The end is due. There's such richness here. You can picture yourself saying to a child, you must do this. You know, a, 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 a snarky child might say, what exactly does must mean here? What, what if I don't? I mean, the reality is, as regards these very important things where you can say that there's a kind of must at the same time, there's not an actual necessity in the sense of a physical necessity to do it. Some will not do what they must do. The end is due. And so it's incumbent upon us to do it. Sorry, the different uses of the word do there. Obligation, 
comes ultimately from the fact that God in his, in his completely gratuitous generosity has set this end for us and called us and ordered us to it in his authority that he has as creator. Why does he share it? That was my quick thought on why is it from God? Why does he share it? An incredible mystery upon which we'll just be able to reflect briefly here. Authority is a uniquely powerful way of crafting the good life in other people. And so likewise, also of crafting it in ourselves as we're crafting it in them by exercising authority. Isn't it just the way God would be that he would share his authority with us in very some sundry ways for our own good. One more key point here in the looking at kind of authority from 30,000 feet. There's a primordial opposition between raw power and the moral good. Those who are studying the Republic uh, right now or have studied before will see this is an absolutely central theme, this, this great dichotomy. In short, fallen man has always been tempted by power as a substitute for virtue. Note how the very term virtue comes from a Latin term for power. So there's a very close connection here. Kind of raw power and virtue are both a kind of strength. We are made to be strong. But what kind of strength are we made for? One, the counterfeit, is simply an ability to bend others to my will. This, this can be very intoxicating. It's very attractive, particularly to fallen human nature, to be able to bend others to your will. Indeed, you might say there's, there's in a perverse way, there's something godlike about that, though God doesn't bend others the way that this man would bend others to his will. Isn't it astounding? God doesn't act like that. The way that God moves in his infinite power, he's still moving in this incredibly loving way. But this, this, this so appealing counterfeit of the strength of being able to lord it over others, to move them to do something that we want them to do, not to guide them to their ends. The other virtue is an ability, it's a power to enact what is intrinsically noble and good. It sounds so, so, I don't know, does it sound vanilla? Maybe it doesn't sound vanilla. Maybe I shouldn't sell it short. The power to enact what is intrinsically noble and good. I feel like Socrates saying, saying those words. Virtue, it, why is it, you have you always watch you know, what words were chosen to express things. Virtue, the various virtues are ways of, of, of gaining the power, the real power, the strength to be human, to live the human good in its profound nobility therein is strength. So you, you, have the, you have these two very different kind of competing strengths or powers. In authority, ladies and gentlemen, this opposition really comes to a head, both in how we're under authority and how, we're, and how we exercise it. This opposition comes to a head. And indeed, you can see how authority can be profoundly perverted in view of that little opposition and the counterfeit that we just noted. For what is experience made clear? Authority can be mistaken, can be misunderstood from both sides, meaning those under it can mistake what that authority is over it, and those exercising it can mistake authority as being a simple assertion of power. Ladies and gentlemen, in many ways, this is characteristic of the modern world, of, of, of tending to reduce authority 
to the raw exercise of power. And indeed, profound philosophical point, when we lose a sense of the true and objective human good and human greatness in what we call virtue, then it's understandable then that people don't have a sense of why would there ever be any reason for there to be authority? Why would I ever want someone else to have power over me? What I'm suggesting here, ladies and gentlemen, is that authority is God's beautiful way of when he shares it with us, of of allowing us to participate in directing others towards their true flourishing, towards virtue. If If we don't understand anymore, True objective human flourishing, of course, we're not going to understand authority. And we will tend to mistake it and be offended by it as simply an exercise of raw power. Of course, part of the ugliness of this drama, ladies and gentlemen, is that when those who should have exercised authority, like God does, don't, and they exercise it, according to the counterfeit, then it is not surprising, perhaps, when those under it suffer greatly and are prone to mistake what authority is all about anyway, if they have experienced it as not about their good. This is a very serious part of life. Here's a great drama. Will we recognize authority for what it is? an act of love, directing us to our true end. There's a reason that Aristotle says that it's those who have first learned obedience who can best exercise authority. There's always an order between these two of exercising authority and being under authority. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that classic Aristotle brilliance? It's there in Plato too. It's those who have learned to be truly obedient who will know how to exercise authority. Somehow we must all come to see that authority is a uniquely powerful, effective, in the best sense of the term, means of bringing human persons to the virtues, to the real power for which we're made. Thus is my little reflection on our first part, what is authority. Second, the gift of being under it, the gift of being under authority. The bottom line of the gift of authority should be already clear from what we were just looking at. From the authority we are under, we learn the way. We learn the way. We come to see the truth of the meaning of life. We learn how together with others in whatever the little communities we're in that are under this authority, we learn how together with them that we live this truly good life to which we are called in various and sundry ways to live together in communities, achieving that. This is the great gift of being under authority. Two quick points here. Since I've mentioned obedience, obedience is so central, of course, the correlative to the exercise of authority. Our very exercise of obedience is itself very salutary. That's why obedience is one of the three evangelical counsels. May take you quickly to, if you have it, you don't have to look, I'm going to read it out loud. And it's, it's worth my reading of several sentences to you. This is from St. Thomas Aquinas' Summa. It's where he's talking about the three evangelical councils, which, as you know, are poverty, chastity, and obedience. Quick, quick one, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to appreciate this point. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. They're called the three evangelical, evangelical means of the gospel. Councils. Council gives direction about how to live. It's, it's not the same as a command, but it, is, it functions similarly in giving a kind of direction with some difference. We don't have to, it doesn't have the obligation. The council doesn't have the obligation that the command does. But nonetheless, it's about giving us some direction about getting to our end. And what St. Thomas explains here is how these councils are for all of us. We tend to associate poverty, chastity, and obedience, the three evangelical councils that those entering the religious state vow 
And that's what St. Thomas Aquinas, the tradition calls the state of perfection, where you have vowed to live these three evangelical councils in their fullness. But here in this text I'm about to give you, St. Thomas says, we all need to learn from the councils. They are councils of our Lord to all of us. We all need to learn how to live poverty, chastity, and obedience according to our state in life, though in more limited ways, not in the vowed ways, if we're not vowed religious. And so here I give you this quotation. Now, if a man observed these evangelical councils, absolutely. This is in accordance with the councils as they stand in, the, in their fullness. That's in the religious life. But if a man observe any one of them in a particular case, this is taking that counsel in a restricted sense. Namely, it's applying to that particular case. For instance, when anyone gives an alms to a poor man not being bound so to do, he follows the counsels in that particular case. In like manner, that was, a, that was a poverty one. In like manner, when a man for some fixed time refrains from carnal pleasures, he may give himself to prayer. He's talking about a married man, by the way. He follows the counsel for that particular time. Beautiful thing worth looking at in itself another time. And again, when a man follows not his will as to some deed which he might do lawfully, he follows the counsel in that particular case. For instance, if he do good to his enemies when he is not bound to, or if he forgive an injury of which he might justly seek to be avenged. In this way, too, all particular counsels may be reduced to these three. But he just said there, ladies and gentlemen, is that obedience is, is one of the three things our Lord gives us as his special counsels to help bring us to perfection, saying, practice obedience, lo and behold, here, even when you don't have to sometimes, that, that's going above and beyond. Just wanted to give you that little snapshot there of the centrality in our tradition of how important, how important obedience is as cultivating a certain disposition in our soul towards authority, of course. Authority calls for obedience. Obedience done well is how authority has its very salutary effect in us. My second quick point here. By obedience, we learn what is good, even when at first we don't see it. By obedience, we learn what is good, even when at first we don't see it. The person who is willing to be obedient even when he does not see or understand why. This person will come to truly see. All right, now, 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 we're, now we're really getting into it. Now let's start to look at St. Joseph. The, 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 I, I love this point here of how God is, the, the two points where the first one is just by being obedient, just by being obedient, we are, we are cultivating extremely important disposition. And why is that disposition so important? Well, hopefully already our reflection on authority in its nature has, has helped give us a, a, a background for it. But now also more specifically, remember this instructing aspect. By being obedient to commands when we don't understand them. Isn't that when it's hardest? It's, it's pretty easy to be obedient when we understand why we're being told to do something. What about when we don't understand why? And particularly as adults, don't we don't we tell something? Well, isn't isn't that for children? Isn't it for children? They're told to do things that they don't understand. Why would I do something I don't understand why to do it? I dare say a lot of us live that way. How about St. Joseph? I'm in the third section of my handout where I've just put a, a little series of quotations. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do them in the exact order that are in that, that is in that they're in that section number three. I'm going to jump down to the just just feel St. Joseph here with me for a moment, if you would. Take the child and his mother and flee. He rose, took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt and remained there. We just reflect with me for just a moment. I just I, I love to picture and a couple of times here in our in our small time remaining, I'm, as I reflect a little bit on St. Joseph, I'm gonna I'm gonna just tell you how I meditate on it and if, if I stray from something that the church would think would have been appropriate, then I stand under the correction of the church. If I give you a little personal meditation, please take it as just how I'm reflecting upon it. And if I stray, I, I again, very much then apologize when asked for, for correction. 
But I think of I, I think of Saint Joseph waking the Blessed Mother, and, and looking in his eyes, in her eyes, and saying, "Dear, we're going to Egypt now." I, I wonder what the Blessed Mother said. I wonder if she said anything other than, huh, you know, all right, you know, what, what, what should I pack things in, Joseph? Imagine how hard that was for him. Right? Are you serious, Lord? Father, God, I, I'm, we're, going to, we're going to Egypt now. It's so easy. We're so used to these stories. How many things in the story of Joseph is that man told to do something where it must have sounded utterly outlandish? Again, it's so easy from the outside. Well, we all know it comes out well in the end. I think this is what we need to try to do by meditation. We need to try to enter into a schooling that's going on of noble Joseph himself, of being called to be obedient so many times when he did not see why. More that, more that to come. I'm, I'm looking at a couple of others where you just see the ongoing obedience. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Luke 2, 27. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Here is a couple under the lead of Joseph because what Joseph said they were doing, they were doing. Joseph was the head of this family. And Joseph would have then given the directives, we're going to Jerusalem now. We're doing this. And we're not questioning, even though we know who this, our child is, and we might wonder whether we, until I'm told otherwise, we act according to the law. This is who Joseph is, isn't it? Look at the flip side of that. And the last one there, number three, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. What a, what a jaw-dropping Jaw-dropping phrase, that is. Obedient to them. There you see it on the other side. Remember, what's the goal in human life? The goal in human life is not ultimately, I don't even need to name the things, it's obviously not, but it's obviously not also freedom, autonomy or self-determination, so they're not control of others, but rather that we make our own a way of living that has been carefully foreseen, foreplanned, and lovingly given to us in the form of a command that we are to do. It is ours to receive it in and through obedience. This is at the root of what it is to be human, to receive the calling of who I am to be because I'm being shown it by someone who knows better than I do whose call this is. Let's continue to watch Joseph. I come to a third part, the gifts of exercising authority. Wonder of wonders. Let's just begin by just trying to think about that you and I can participate. Good philosophical, technical term. Participate literally means have a part in. You and I can have a part in that which must ultimately always be God's. Authority is ultimately always God's. By having a part in it, though, we have the reality. A reality that is not originally ours, could never originally be ours, can become ours because God in his generosity has chosen to share it with us. Ladies and gentlemen, I say, always be looking for this in reality how what belongs to another can also come to belong to you. This is how our God works. Things that are simply his. He has a way of making yours without changing the reality 
that they will always be simply his. But lo, now they're yours too. Such as his authority. The most obvious instance of God sharing his authority with a human being is his sharing it with a father. Consider the authority of a father in his household. May we look at quotation number four on the handout. It's near the top of the second page. This is Leo the Thirteenth in an encyclical or letter. I'm not sure whether it's an encyclical letter or an apostolic letter. Quam quam plurius, which is on Saint Joseph. Very beautiful. From this twofold dignity, being spouse of Mary and foster father of Jesus, flowed the obligation which nature lays on the heads of families, so that Joseph became the guardian, the administrator, and the legal defender of the divine house whose chief he was. And during the whole course of his life, he fulfilled those charges and those duties. Well, later, now the divine house, isn't that a beautiful term, the divine house, which Joseph ruled with the authority of a father, contained within its limits the scarce-born church. We are swimming in deep waters. Let's look back oh so briefly to have more time to look at the Old Testament Joseph. What a man. What a man. Let's just look at a few. I just chose out a, a, a few um, things that, that pointed to him in his authority. Um, in section five, from that time, he, Potiphar, made him overseer him, Joseph, made him overseer in his house. And over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in house and field. The, the amazing kind of hierarchies. God shares authority with human persons. Human persons can share what is their authority. They can now share that with others in another instance of being like God, because this is what God is always about, giving us more opportunities to be like him, because, of course, that's our happiness, which is this whole point. Genesis 39, 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. The next, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And look at this astounding line. And whatever was done there, he was the doer of it. <laughs> that, that, that's a philosophically very, in, in one sense, everything that goes on in creation is God's, right? But at the same time, it's, it's theirs too. So the, the fasting interplay there, in some sense, everything that's going on is, is, is being suggested. There was something that, that Joseph and authority was doing. The keeper of the prison paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made prosper. Remember, Blessed Pius IX, that Joseph is a type of our Saint Joseph. Our Saint Joseph is a man of authority. In and through his authority, he crafted the good life in the divine household of the Holy Family. And amazingly, Saint Joseph made a space in which the Blessed Mother could live her vocation. And dare I say, he made a space in which his adopted son could live his. Such is the power of exercising authority well. Note, this authority in the household is an authority over a community of persons, which includes a limited loving authority over and with his spouse. We cannot go more into this now as it so badly demands, other than I'm going to assert this, and I apologize, we, we have to pick and choose. It, it, it demands more 
I'm going to try to say something, assert something in short. A mother has authority in the household, in God's providence, or in our tradition. It comes to her through her husband. His sharing, his authority with her is an essential aspect of his exercise of authority, of leading and being head of the household. Not to share his authority with his life, pardon me, with his wife, would be to fail in his exercising. But God has given it to him first and made it his to share. God, give us eyes to see the gift that you've given us in that spousal relationship where you can even speak of there being a kind of order of authority within the relationship itself, all for the common good, always for the good of all involved. Never that anyone might ever lord anything over any others in this amazing community. Give us eyes to see from the side of the husband to the husbands and from the side of the wife to the wives. Look again at that last line in quotation number three, which is me, in part three at the top of page two. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he was obedient to them in their shared authority. It came through Joseph. I'll wrap up with a few practical miscellaneous suggestions. First, receive the gift of being under and of exercising authority by stepping up to it consciously and intentionally. Let's rediscover the gift of authority. How exciting. I I, I say this is what young men especially need to be told. This fits very well, by the way, the incredible power of Jordan Peterson and speaking to, to young men, especially about telling them, you know, you all have been told that you don't have responsibility. You don't have to take responsibility. For goodness sake, you need to take responsibility. You need to start showing responsibility in your own life. You need to step up and receive the incredible gift of being under authority, which is why you especially need to take responsibility, first of all, for yourself. And then further in that, to step up and take responsibility for exercising well over others. What an astounding and challenging, exciting gift. St. Joseph, help us to see and to do this, all of us according to our state in life. Two, recognize that authority, that sometimes exercising authority will seem, maybe will be isolating and will call for great courage. I just go back briefly to St. Joseph. Golly. (laughs) And of course, we could go to the other one. (laughs) Can you imagine the moment? Oh, you're expecting. Imagine the astounding loneliness and isolation. Did he, in any case, would have been tempted to experience? Imagine the going to Egypt, staying in Egypt, ladies and gentlemen. We don't need to remind ourselves that Mary and Joseph are Jews and they're going to Egypt. Not that there wouldn't necessarily be any others there, but nonetheless, the kind of isolation, who's there to speak with about this? Sometimes stepping up and leading you have to even put on a face that you're not sure why I'm putting on this face. Incredible cultivation of soul that would be called to. Let's recognize, remember that. Third, third recognize this. this. This deserves a whole treatment in itself. The goal of authority, being the true good of those under it, is not simply conformity to commands, but it's the full flourishing of the one under it, namely their transformation and virtue. Let's just talk about this really, really, really briefly. And consider how many of us make the mistake of thinking if our children are, 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 are doing right now what we told them to do, well, then everything must be fine. Now, maybe it's great that they are doing right now what they told us to do. But we need to look with the deeper eyes because, ladies and gentlemen, here, may I say this just uh, autobiographical? 
the, the, in, in my weakness, in my pride, in my whatever it was, selfishness, to, to at times not be exercising my authority so much out of love, but out of more, you know, just trying to save face slash self-esteem slash esteem of others and just thinking about, well, if my, if my children just look right, right, then, 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 then everything, you know, it looks like they're following what I said. Rather than everything I do about actually the deep interior transformation of them, of them becoming that which has been trusted to me to be a special agent, though not for complete and sufficient, of their becoming. I give you a quick reflection on in this vein of the two sons of the father of the prodigal son. How people respond to authority, ladies and gentlemen, is very mysterious. Think of those two sons for a moment. What was the father, if you see the father here as a human father, what was he thinking about the son that left and about the son that stayed and how they were responding to his authority or not? Do you remember the older son boldly proclaiming, I've always done what you told me to. And now he's throwing it back in his father's face. There's different ways of responding. And to some extent, ladies and gentlemen, there's always going to be the mystery of freedom here. When exercising authority, let us pray that we do all that we can to exercise it well in view of the end of the interior transformation of those under it. Might put it this way. We should do. I don't have anything more at the moment concrete to say about it. But I do challenge you with this particularly from speaking to parents, but this authority is being exercised by many of you in all different kinds of situations. Exercise authority with a view, be savvy, be prudent, be wise of how can I do this so that they are most likely to receive this and be transformed by it. How I exercise my authority will look different if I recognize the goal is their deep interior transformation. And it's not simply their exterior conformity. God grant me the power to be aware of that and do my best, but then leave the rest to God. Because you might have a prodigal son, or you might have an older son who throws it back in your face. Indeed, aren't most of us ourselves, one or the other of them. We leave it to God, and we hope and we trust. We need to study. I just want to make give a quick quotation here from number six on the handout. Pharaoh to Joseph. Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph was a prudent and wise man. This came, God gave it to him, yes, but he surely also cultivated this and had to study. We need to be willing to do what we can, to be taking counsel, to be studying, to be thinking in terms of how can we discern how to exercise our authority better. My final practical suggestion. Remember, our exercise of authority can only be as good as it is rooted in our subjection to authority. Both God's and other humans that by God's authority are over us. Key point in St. Thomas, by the way, didn't mention earlier, must be mentioned. It is by God's authority that other human authority is over us. It is a practice of of subjection to God to properly, prudently, appropriately subject ourselves to them. But going back to our relationship with God, quick final reflection, a key part of this subjection is learning to accept key features of the plan that we don't like and we don't understand. I know I sounded it earlier. If you if you allow me, just one more little reflection I want to share with you about St. Joseph in view of this. I, I might be off. And again, I, I'll, I'll stand under correction, but nonetheless, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna share with you because I think there's something to it. And there's a, it's, it's a little story that I made up in my own mind. And maybe you'll see something in this that can help us learn something from Joseph. I picture that at some point, when when we we don't know when Joseph died, I'm picturing maybe he was remember our Lord was an adult for a long time at home before he started his public life. 
So he could have known and interacted with Joseph, at least very conceivably, for some length of time. I picture our Lord having been grown at this point and just picture the day after day in that workshop together. Boy, how they must have known one another's every move. And then one day, St. Joseph was, was not there. Maybe it was after a meal. He, he didn't show back up exactly when, when he would have. You know, our, our, our Lord, obviously having the most profound sense of soul, immediately senses something, something's off here. And he goes in search of his father. And he finds and he finds Saint Joseph. And I picture in my mind that Saint Joseph was, was weeping. And our Lord came up to him and he said, Daddy, well, what is it, Daddy? And Joseph said, Son, it's just really hard for me to think at that great day, I'm not going to be there when I know your mother's going to need me and you're going to suffer as you know you're going to suffer and I'm not going to be there with you. It's really hard for me to see that. And I picture that man, God, saying, Daddy, I walk the way I do because you taught me to walk. I talk the way I do because you taught me to talk. And these hands, they work the way they do because you taught me to work. And you know, I, from the time I was a boy, I was able to stand among the other boys and young men in the synagogue. I could stand tall right there among them because one day you took my mother and me into your home and you gave me my name. I want you to know, Daddy, you know very well, there is no place that I will ever go or your mother will ever go where you will not be there with us. In one great day, when I save the world and I die on the cross, know, Abba Daddy, that you, as my foster father, have made this possible. All this, as God once said to Abraham, all this, because you have obeyed my commands. What might seem to be a tale of two Josephs in scripture is in reality a tale of one Joseph. For in a sense, they are one. They are one in what our Lord would teach us. At the end of the day, it's a tale of a father of whom both Josephs are but an image. Ladies and gentlemen, the history of the world is the history of a father. A father who in his love exercises authority over his children. A father who has two kinds of sons, at least. One who stays close to home or seems to, and one who wanders or seems to, both of whom have much to learn, both of whom must come to see that all is mercy, all is gifts, the utterly gratuitous and bountiful gift of a father for his well-beloved children. If there's one great drama in human life, isn't it this? Will his children receive in response the gift of this father? Ladies and gentlemen, let us go to Joseph the human father who most incarnates the fatherhood of God himself. And as quotation number eight says of the brothers of Joseph in Egypt, when they were speaking in their own tongue and Joseph, the great representative of the high king, they didn't think understood them. And scripture says so poignantly, they did not know that Joseph understood them. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing that any of us will endure, it seems to me, that our good St. Joseph, patron of the universal church, father in so many ways to all of us, will not understand. Thanks so much for 
your attention. Awesome. Okay. So let's start with Charlotte, who asks, why do you think it is Mary only who questions Jesus when they find him in the temple? Why doesn't Joseph speak his authority out loud? Very good question. I was wondering that myself, and I don't know. I, I, I have wondered that that exact question, and I'm sure that the um, <laughs> I have confidence in God's providence. There's some a special thing that we're supposed to learn from that. And I'm meditating on that and trying to discern what that is. It it doesn't in any way make me question that um, the St. Joseph had, I mean, one, this this is a good question to ask. First of all, just because we should ask ourselves, what is our Lord trying to, what's God trying to teach us there? Um, One might raise that as a kind of objection. Hey, you know, uh, St. Joseph had, took a back, back seat here in the Blessed Mother set, um, spoke forward, spoke out. Um, I don't I don't think that there's any uh, I don't think there's any call to take it that way. So there might well be, um, you know, um, Gregorio, you have a thought, please. Yes, I do. I do, uh, Dr. Karabak. Um, if I remember correctly, that passage of the scripture, um, when in her answer, Mary refers to your father, when, when, when she speaks to Jesus, the first thing she says is, your father and I have been searching for you. So yep. in a way, uh, she, she's exercising that uh, delegation of authority you mentioned. Right. And uh, she's pouring her heart out because, because she's a mother. Uh, and, uh, but, but the first thing she acknowledges in the answer is the father's authority? I think that's great, Gregorio. I completely, I, I, I completely agree. It, you know, one can still wonder why why she said as opposed to Joseph. But nonetheless, I think you point out something extremely important. A, she mentions the two of them, referring to him first, your father and I, and um, and I think you're you're onto something very beautiful there. Of is it is it something? I mean, it, it's. It, I think it's important to know there was not some. There was this was not a moment of an exercise of authority. It's not that our Lord is not that they were telling him to do something or not. He's being asked a question. It's a mother's prerogative, certainly, to ask that question just as much as it is the father's prerogative. Um, you know, because I mean, they knew already that he was not being disobedient. So they're they're asking, hey, what's going on here? But there's no question in their mind that he was actually being disobedient. And so I think in, in, in that sense, it, it's, you know, if, if, if there were a situation where, as it were, that you, there was a need for a speaking in authority, I think it would have had St. Joseph um, say it. But I think, in this, as you say, kind of pouring out the mother's heart. Well, why? Just asking their son with whom they have that close relationship. Why? So there it is. Thanks, Gregorio. Thanks for that question. Let's uh, take this question from Lauren. She says, for someone who has been a victim of an abuse of authority, how do you turn to God to heal this wound? We're healed through the mouth and the Eucharist because we fell through the mouth eating from the forbidden tree. So how does God heal mistrust and authority and disobedience because of this wound? Does God bend our will to rebuild this trust? Uh, f- fabulous question, and, and I, 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 I'm just going to say this is part of a central part of how we need to open our heart to the healing of the Father. I, I can't speak to how. I know what I would say is regards to how, though I much appreciate the asking of the how. You say, does he does he bend the heart? Well, I mean, it, he, he's certainly going to, and the word bend, it, it can be a little tricky. He certainly is going to be drawing us. And I think it's especially by inviting us to experience his authority as an act of his love. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't I, I know this can sound very clinical, but isn't it going to be somehow in experiencing that the authority that we have had over here was was an abuse, but it already is a, a, at least a very important step to be able to recognize it as an abuse, right? And there might need to be just on the natural level a very important kind of therapy to help us work through that because of a kind of enduring wound, right? And the great the great healing ministry of Unbound, you know, is very much you know the the heart of the Father. 
It's very about very much about going back to opening our hearts to the heart of the Father to receive and recognize that ultimately all true fatherhood is from him. If the instrument has failed, it is the failure of the instrument. It was not a lack of love or real authority on on the part of God himself. And that is what he needs to teach us. And I think for different of us, it will come in different ways. It might through be through the instrumentality of another human person. It, would, it, it might be through a deep interior life where he's speaking directly to our hearts. But the fabulous question, I'd just say something to pray about and to be very open and saying, Lord, you know, hold me close to you. Help me to experience your fatherhood. And again, I, I, I very much love the unbound ministry of um, you know, the heart of the father. Dr. Cutterback, Teresa asks, um, what would you suggest we could do in society to promote authentic masculinity um, that we see, the kind of masculinity that we see in St. Joseph that that seems to be so needed in society today? Well, I think here I I go with a very simple, great question, philosophical principle of um, appetite is moved by apprehension. We, to, to, for, to, to come before our vision, our mind, our thought, and get into our imagination, this will tend to move our appetite, broad philosophical term, our will, our hearts. So we need to be talking about it. We need to be thinking about it for us to be reflecting on things just like we're reflecting on here. It's meditation on this that helps me personally understand more the incredible gift that it is that I'm called to as a husband, as a father, and as a teacher, etc. So authentic masculinity, we, we, we need to be doing all we can on the natural level and on the supernatural level to be rediscovering it. A, a bit of the work that I try to do personally is, is kind of using the philosophical tradition to rediscover certain understanding of true masculinity and how it fits with, uh, you know, compliments and powers true femininity, but of course, supernaturally, this is, go to Joseph. I mean, mean, you know, we we might say, let's simply go scriptural here, go to Joseph. Joseph is is the saint for our age as, you know, that that quiet, great example, the inspiring example, give us all something to look to. Again, you might think, well, there's not that much there about him. Yes, there is, right? If we actually get in there and think about those stories and meditate on it, this right here was the fruit of my spiritual director saying, I want you this year to focus on going back and reading about Joseph in Genesis. And I want you to go through everything that you find about St. Joseph in the New Testament. The other direction that he gave me is, and then he said, every time you hear our Lord say anything about family or fatherhood, know that he has in his own imagination, his Abba Daddy, Joseph. And learn more about St. Joseph by how our Lord talks about fathers in the various stories that he tells. So let's go scriptural. Let's think about it. Let's pray about it. Let's meditate it. And that's going to inspire us to follow it. Joe asks, within the Holy Family, Joseph is the only one born with original sin um, and he's the father of the family, he says he finds that aspect of his life inspiring in light of his responsibilities. Do you have any thoughts about the temptations that Joseph faith, faced in his faith and in obedience? Well, I, 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 I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm going to say I, I deeply appreciate that you know, that line of thinking. It, it's, it's a very fruitful vein to follow. What 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 kind of um, what kind of challenges might Joseph had ha- have had? I think it's a beautiful part of his being given to us. Go to Joseph to know that um, he did have he did have original sin, and so in that way we can relate to him in a way that's harder for us to relate to. Blessed not that we aren't also in a very special way. Obviously, called to relate to the blessed mother too. So I'm 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 just I, I don't have any in any in, in, in any special insight other than to just say that should be precisely the fruit of the farming, the object of our meditation. And as you see, that's, I, I tried to share a couple ones of thinking about maybe something that would have been hard for Joseph, but by the grace of God, right, that he was, that he was able to grow through. He's, such, he's the perfect example of, of 
the grace of God at work slowly over time, and and and, and how I mean life life is life is a tough road to hoe, but God always knows what He's doing. Saint Joseph trusted, and that's exactly what we need to do. Finally, Dr. Cutterback, can you just reflect on how you look to Saint Joseph in your own fatherhood? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you something funny. I, I, I mean, one time I was, I was many, many years ago. I was actually hearing a lecture about Saint Joseph and and and, and the different ways that we should learn from him about how to raise our children. And I literally wrote, raised my hand and said, "I really appreciate." It was given by a religious sister. I said, "Sis, I really appreciate all the things that you're saying, but I have to tell you something. I'm really struggling with is one of the hardest parts of my parenting is that sometimes my children are just bad. I mean, they're awful and they drive me crazy, and." I don't think that ever happened to St. Joseph. So I'm not sure exactly how I'm supposed to, uh, you know, find find great inspiration there in Joseph um, about, you know, when your children are finger painting on the wall with things that aren't paint. You know, it, it, it's and, you know, and it's funny. I, I feel a little bad for asking the question because sister was real, a little bit taken aback. And honestly, she wasn't sure what to say. And I'm not sure what to say other, other than, you know, you can find an example in someone even if he didn't undergo the exact same thing. The more root dispositions that we've, you know, that we, that we've, that we've looked at here. Are, are, are going to be there for us, you know, the, the, the whole thing of accepting it, even when you don't understand and it's super hard. So, I mean, what wh- wh- what do I do? I, I, I try to have a prayer life of going to scripture and asking the Lord to speak to me and to help me enter into it. And I ask St. Joseph to help me understand and to help me be a better husband and help me be a better father. And I just think this is a prayer we all need to share together and to be cultivating a sense of Lexio, the practice of Lexio Divina, because you, 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 we become friends with these persons in the words that scripture gives us about them. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.